All right. Um, this morning, uh, we have come again to the fifth of our series of messages on putting God in His place. Now, if you remember, which I trust that most of you do, but some of you, it's your first time here, so we don't expect you to remember messages you haven't heard yet. All right? So you can breathe a sigh of relief. That's part of being a safe place where strangers become friends. We don't actually take tests on previous messages that you've not heard. So, but what I would like to mention to you this morning and remind you of is that for most of us, when we think about our priorities, um, because what we're really about here is following up a message, a series of messages we preached this fall on kingdom shift, restoring right priorities, and now we're taking that restoring right priorities and we're applying it into very significant areas of each of our lives. And I would suggest that most of us, when we think about our priorities, most of us have been taught to think about our priorities in terms of a list. And so we have a list, and because we're here on a Sunday morning, if I asked anybody in the room, what's your number one priority, all of you would know that the proper response to that is going to be what? God. Okay, so everybody's going to say God. And after that, you're going to have a various... Uh, list depending on your situation, circumstances in life, your particular stage of life. There might be other factors that might, but somewhere in there are going to be these six things. Um, there's going to be family and friendships and recreation and occupation and resources and ministry. All of those will be somehow on that list of priorities. What we have been suggesting is, and inviting you into, is to look at your priorities from a different perspective. Rather than looking at your priorities in terms of a list where you are constantly negotiating where things are on that list and where you have the very real temptation to compartmentalize your life and even if God is number one on your list, if He's only one part of that list, when you move to something else, God gets displaced and suddenly... You've compartmentalized him out of your practical daily life. And so what we're suggesting is that rather than looking at your priorities as a list, that you begin to look at them as a priority wheel with God at the center, at the hub, and then you have these other spokes that come out of the hub and everything in your life gets integrated into that center in God. When I began the series, we began in Genesis 1. Those first four words of the whole Scriptures, I couldn't get away from the first four words, in the beginning, God. And if we read the whole book, at the end of the book, it's at the end of the book, God. In the beginning, God. At the end, God. In fact, at the end, there's not going to be any more, there's not going to be any need for any more sun. Because Jesus Himself will be the light. At the beginning of the book, God. At the end of the book, God. Everything in between, God. And He's at the very center of our lives. We began the series by looking at recreation, which we've redefined as re-creation. encourage you to take a look at that. What do we do with our leisure time? How is, can that be centered in God? Our occupation, recognizing that we all have a vocation as believers in Christ. In Christ. We all have one vocation, many occupations. So as we believe in Christ, We are all priests of the Lord who exercise that and live that out in a variety of different occupations. We looked at friendships and how Christ is to be at the center of our friendships, our relationships. Pastor Sam preached an excellent message on that Thanksgiving, the Sunday right after Thanksgiving. And we had a snowstorm. Oh, no, we had had Alan Ross and then we had a snowstorm after Alan. So last week, we looked at resources. 
And we discovered afresh, and let me just put this thought into your seed thought into your head, and if you weren't here on Sunday, I encourage you to get the message. God is our source, and He is a God of many resources. Many of us kind of mix that up and think our resources are our God. And maybe after the fact we think of God as our source. But God is our source and a God of many resources. This morning, we're going to be putting God in His place in our families. Putting God in His place in our family. And here's the question that I would like us to look at this morning. What would it look like to put God in His place in our family relationships. Now this is potentially a very challenging message, particularly at Christmas time, which is already freighted with a lot of different emotion around families. You know the old song, there's no place like home for the holidays. Well, for some people that may be true, and for other people, maybe not so much. And for some people, maybe the question is, where is home? I don't even know where my home is. And so there can be a lot of different emotion and a lot of different challenges internally that come when we start talking about putting God in His place in our family relationships. And yet, if we don't get some perspective about this, a very vast part of our lives is going to end up out of sync and out of the flow of the life-giving Spirit of God. And we don't want that. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians. And while you're turning there, let me, let me note a couple of things for you. First of all, I just want you to note this. In the Bible, and I think, you, I think I can safely put this out there, in the Bible, if you search from cover to cover, you would be very hard-pressed to find a perfect family. Anybody ever tried to look for a perfect family in the Bible? Anybody found a perfect family in the Bible? I mean, even Jesus' own family. Well, it started out kind of interesting. Okay? Mary, Joseph, you know, and again, we, we have swaddled Christmas in all kinds of sentiment and nostalgia that sort of takes away some of the raw edges. Speaking of families, Chad, let's see that little one right there. Oh, yeah, there she is. Adeline. Adeline Noel. Let's welcome new baby Van Veldhuizen. All right. So we've swaddled it up in all of this nostalgia and all of this sentiment And we forget the raw reality that from the perspective of most of Jesus's, you know, the people around Jesus' birth was at the very best, a little hinky, all right? People weren't quite sure who this guy is. Is he really, you know, Mary, Joseph, they had to go through. I mean, thank God they came to submission and surrender to the will and purposes of the Lord, but still things got difficult. His, his, um, I love this. You know, if you look in, in the Gospel of Luke, you find Jesus, I mean, his family, he's 12 years old, they bring him to the temple, he's, he's there, he's teaching, you know, and they leave, and it takes them a whole day to figure out that he's not with them. Where's child welfare? Alright? Any of you ever been left by your parents? Alright. 
I know one of our favorite stories is Annette's. Annette comes from a very large family, 12 kids. And they were on a family visit to the Field Museum in Chicago. Anybody ever been to the Field Museum in Chicago? Okay. Lots and lots of dead animals. Stuffed dead animals and other things. Worse. There's the mummy room. In the basement of the Field Museum. Back in our day, the mummy room was a place, you know, every field trip you went to the mummy room and it was creepy. So Annette was about six, seven years old and her parents and family left her, they forgot her, and she was in the mummy room by herself. Okay? She's had many deep prayer appointments about that. Okay? So, even Jesus' family was not perfect. So when we're talking about putting God in His place, we're talking about reposturing our families, repositioning, maybe that's even a better word. We're talking about repositioning our families in such a way that God is at the center of our life together as a family. However, what we're not talking about is some sort of unattainable perfectionism. So let me just put your fears at ease right now. Because there are no perfect families that I've and I've been in ministry 27 years I still haven't found one nor am I a part of a perfect family but together I think we can reposition ourselves to put God in his place in our families all right Ephesians is very nicely broken up between Chapters 1 to 3 and chapters 4 to 6. Chapters 1 to 3 really lay out God's vision for a new society, for something new that he calls the church. Really, Ephesians has been called the gospel of the church. And it really does lay out God's heart and vision for a whole new society that's different than anything that has existed up to that point. So the first three verses, he he leads with that and he he ends verse 3 with that incredible prayer. And the prayer ends in verse 20 and 21 with, Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And then, as a prisoner for the Lord then, starting in chapter 4, Paul gets very practical and pragmatic and begins to talk about how the reality of the Gospel bringing transformation gets worked out, boots on the ground in daily life. Right where we live. This is what I love about Christianity. It's different than the philosophy. It's not something that's just random thoughts out there. The whole point of Emmanuel, God with us, is that God gets very down and dirty where we live. He's right in the midst of the clay which He has formed into man and woman. And works with us right where we are. So as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So here's the calling. The calling is into this new society. This calling is to be a part, a member of this larger reality. I want you to live worthy of that. Here's how you do it. Be completely humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Moving ahead to the beginning of chapter 5. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us. The end of, or towards, moving towards later on in chapter 5, Be very careful then how you live. 
Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I want to give you that context there because Ephesians 5.21 is going to be a significant key this morning to unlock all of what we're going to be talking about in terms of relationships within our life together as a family. But I want you to give you the context for Ephesians 5.21 because it's the hinge between what comes before and what comes after But what comes before really informs Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ is actually a, a present participle. It's an ongoing, what it means is, what I'm saying here in plain English, is there is a command to continually submit to one another um, out of reverence for Christ. And the reason that you do that, the reason that you submit to one another, or the, the means by which that happens is through being filled with the Holy Spirit. As you are filled with the Spirit, you must speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs. You must sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. That's why we sing the way we did this. It was wonderful. It was so great. Thank you, Brenda and team, for leading us in that. Because that just, that's the, you, you were living out what we were doing. This is, we were doing this morning, this command. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. That comes, that always giving thanks comes out of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So does submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You submit to one another out of reverence for Christ because, because as a child of God, you are filled with the Spirit. And the transformational power of the Holy Spirit gives you and I the capacity to submit to one another because of our reverence for Christ. All right. So let's talk a little bit more about this because this word submission is, you know, word not used or not welcomed, certainly, in contemporary society. But let's talk about it just a bit. Submission to Christ, the foundation of a healthy family. I'm going to make a very radical statement here this morning. And I want you to hear this very carefully. I believe that submission to Christ is actually the key that will unlock the life for and of a healthy family. Submission to Christ is the key that unlocks and is the foundation for a healthy family. Talk about what that means. What is submission? The Greek word for submission is hypotasame. The heart of this word is the Greek word taxis. It's, it's in there because of the transliteration over into the English. But that's, that's the heart of this word is taxis, which means order. So the word submission is the humble recognition of God's divine order, an order that begins when we are properly related to Christ. Unless there is proper ordering in Christ, unless our lives are ordered under Him, there will be disorder. And, and, and James says the very same thing. He says, why do you have all these quarrels among you? Isn't it because, you, isn't it because you're asking for things that have already been given? Are, isn't it coming out of a disordered heart? A heart that is not properly aligned with Christ. 
So I'm going to say this as clearly as I know how. Everything else that we do will be inadequate. We can try, you can try every step and read every book and listen to every sermon or every teaching or every talk and go to every conference and try every tool in the toolbox. If every one of those tools and teachings is not rooted out of and coming out of a heart that is rooted in submission to Christ, it's going to have limited ability to bring full transformation. It'll bring some. I mean, it can, it can bring a certain level of reformation, but it won't bring transformation. Are you with me? I don't know how else to say it any more plainly than this. But it really does begin with being properly ordered in Christ. This brings about, this transformation brings about a realignment. Listen to this. The world is obsessed with demanding its rights. So the focus of the world is on controlling, power, domination, and winning. Everything is about that doesn't matter what economic system you're functioning under, whether it's a dictatorship or a communist or a capitalist. Every single kind of economic system that is established by man in the world is focused on control, on power, on domination, and winning. End of story, period, exclamation point. Christ followers instead of being obsessed with demanding its rights, are possessed, and I use that word very specifically, we are to be possessed by the Spirit of God. We are His possession. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit, to be possessed. We are possessed by the Spirit who is responsible. The Spirit of responsibility And the focus then is on service, empowering, humility, and collaboration. This is completely countercultural. This is kingdom shift. This is dislodging and repositioning us. And this is, let me tell you folks, this is a daily, ongoing task. This is why we need the community of Christ. Because when we're trying to do it on our own, We're like one of those salmon swimming upstream against an actual tsunami that's constantly coming against us. Because the world always says, manipulate, control, dominate, win at any cost. And Christ says, serve, empower, humble yourself. Collaborate. Following me so far? Okay, one more thing. Fundamental truth that is embedded throughout the book of Ephesians, throughout the Gospels, throughout the Scriptures is that God's order, remember we're talking about submission to God's order, God's order affirms the dignity, equality, and unity of all people. The dignity of all people. The equality of all people. The unity of all people. Regardless of age, gender, um, Background, economics, education, culture, what millennium you happen to live in, God affirms the dignity, equality, and unity of all people. That's a fundamental truth that's rooted and which becomes, again, this is part of that seedbed of why we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because my brother, my sister, they are, they have dignity, they have equality. I'm in union with them because of Christ. So that's an underlying fundamental reality. All right. 
Now, everybody with me so far on the foundation, all right? Jesus, again, let's, one, one more thing. Let me emphasize this and bring it home so you really, I'm, I'm spending a lot of time on this foundation because it's very important to everything else we're going to talk about. Philippians 2, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, here's that reverence for Christ. We're submitted to Him out of reverence for Christ. Why? Because Christ is the example to us and for us. If you have any encouragement from being united with Him, any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Alright? Have the same mindset. Here's where the battle is. Mindsets. We don't have time to go into all of that today, but every single one of us have a mindset. It's the world view. It's the perspective we have in the world. It affects our attitudes and our actions. Our mindsets are everything. Okay? Now, Let's look at this in the context of families. All right? Going on in Ephesians 5. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, Love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the Word and to present her to Himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of His body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. All right. Now, let's take a few moments to unpack this. Now, of course, this is a scripture that is weighted with all kinds of different controversy and conversations that are still ongoing in the church. Not just our local church, but I mean the church at large. So I'm not going to try to unravel all of that this morning. So I'm not going to go into egalitarianism versus complementarianism. I'm going to talk about pragmatism. Okay? That's where my focus is going to be. I'm going to speak to you pastorally this morning because I think, and all of this flows out of, again, the context is, the headline is, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Become in proper alignment with Christ. And then what is my responsibility in that context within my family? And I'm going to begin with husbands. Alright? Husbands, wave your hand at me if you're a husband here this morning. Husbands, okay? Got a few husbands in the house. That's a really good thing. like to see husbands. All right? So I'm going to talk about a husband's responsibility first. Why? Because Paul spends the majority of that passage that he just wrote speaking to husbands. So I feel like the weight of his words come first to us. And so I want to let that weight settle first on our own hearts here this morning. How many of you would like to be a husband someday and you're not a husband yet? Any guys want to be a husband? Noah, you want to be a husband someday? Yeah? Okay. All right. Good. All right. Good. All right. Listen up. What is a husband's responsibility? And remember, let me define the word responsibility. Responsibility means the ability to respond. This is different than reactionary. 
We live in a world that's reactionary. As believers, we are called to be responsible because we've been given the ability to respond. And our responsibility as husbands is to love. Now I'm going to give you a few words that come right out of our passage in Ephesians 5. And where did my, where did I set it down? Oh, thank you. All right. Yeah, there we are. That's why I need lots of people around me to help me. All right. So again, Reflect on Ephesians 5, 25 on. Husbands, love your wives. Christ loved the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife. What does that look like? Love your wife as Christ loved the church. This is unconditional. The love that you are called to is an unconditional love. What does unconditional mean? Everybody be prepared to say ooh and ah. Unconditional means without conditions. Okay. Without conditions. That doesn't mean I love her if she looks really good. You know one of my favorite hymns? Take my wife and let her be swift and beautiful to me. No. whether she's swift or beautiful to you or not, you are called to love her. It is unconditional. It is not dependent upon her reactions or her responses. As Christ loved the church, did Christ only love you when you you know, acted appropriately and looked good and did everything well and right and all of that? Did, is that how He loved you? While we were yet what? Sinners. Christ died for you. It's an unconditional. It's sacrificial. It means laying down your rights. It means laying down sometimes your comfort. It may be laying down your preferences. To love your wife is to sacrifice yourself for her good. How can I benefit my wife today? What can I do? What can I, what do I need to, are there things in my life that I may need to sacrifice? That might mean prying your clammy hands off of the remote control. Step away from that screen for just a moment. Oh, there's lots of ways that that can get very practical. But it is our responsibility to love our wives as Christ loved the church, unconditionally, sacrificially serving. We just saw it. We see it all over. I mean, Jesus was the ultimate servant leader, washing the feet of His... He turned everything upside down. Well, Paul here, you can't even imagine how radical what Paul's teaching here is given the context culturally in which he was speaking. Radical! Because in that society, husbands completely dominated their wives. Wives were considered as chattel. Both in in much of Jewish teaching, you know, thank God that He's not made me a slave, a woman, or, you know, that was a Jewish man's prayer every day. In Roman society... Women had no, you know, I mean, there was very limited. This is not the way it is within a house where Christ is at the center. Serving. Helping. 
supporting, encouraging, developing, liberating. I'm going to make a non-political statement that's going to sound very political. Men, we're, to be call- we're called to be at the front and center of any women's liberation movement because it is to our great joy and benefit to see them liberated to become all that God has them to be. Men? Amen? Amen. Come on, guys. Amen. Don't let your wives shout you down. We are called To be a part of that empowering... I mean, there's nothing more joyful. Nothing more joyful. Than to see my wife becoming all that God intends her to be. What could be... What could give my heart more joy? Than seeing her released into the fullness of the calling that God has for her using the gifts and abilities and graces that God has placed in her life. And the fact is, is that that's part of... I mean, that's what Jesus did. That's how He loved. His love was liberating. He liberates us to become all that we're destined to be. I love this word and I want to I want you to sit under this word men husbands would you please sit under this word This is the command of the Lord to you you are to cherish your wife You are to nourish her to care for her to feed I mean you know Paul goes in over and over and over again here he gives very clear instruction people about what it means and how it looks to love your wife. In the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Guys, you like your own body? Yeah. You take care of it pretty good, right? You keep it fed and sleep and, you know, you take care of it. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ did the church. Christ cherishes us. We are to cherish our, our, our wives, husbands. All right? How's everybody doing? Woohoo! When's the shouting going to start? Come on, guys. This is our responsibility that God has called us to. Now, there's much more that we could say, and you know, you all can think of a thousand other things, and you already are. But let's just sit with those words for a while, okay? Gentlemen, just sit with those. Wives, a wife's responsibility is respect. Now, this is actually, I mean, scientifically and sociologically true. The the deepest place that a woman senses her security and stability is when she knows that she is loved. A man senses his security and stability when he knows that he is respected. Now, that doesn't mean wives should be disrespected or that men should not be loved. I'm just saying there are two sides in many ways of the same coin, But there's a different way and a unique way in which it's expressed. And for a wife, the responsibility is to respect her husband. This is a pretty strong word, by the way. It means actually reverence her husband. That means esteem him with high value. That means to say, he is very valuable. He is highly esteemed in my eyes. I respect him. I sometimes teasingly tell Annette, 
She'll just, something will happen. She'll just say, oh, Lord. And I'll say, it's okay, honey. You can just call me my liege. <laughs> Which, of course, I just mean in pure humor. But there is an esteeming. Do you esteem your husband? Okay? Let me give you some words to put around this for wives to sit under for a little bit. First of all, understand that this responsibility of respect is voluntary. This is important context because, guys, it is not your responsibility to make your wife respect you. In fact, you go ahead and try that and just see how that works. All right? And for those of you who have been trying, how is that? How's that working? How's that coming out? Pretty well, huh? It's voluntarily, it's a choice that you... As a wife, get to give you give the get to give the gift of respect to your husband voluntarily. No one is going to force that out of you, but you are invited, just as we are invited to surrender our lives to Christ. You are invited to give your respect to your husband out of reverence for Christ. It's selfless. Again, two sides of the same coin. So is the love, but wives, this respect that you are giving, it, it's thinking not only of your own interest, but the interest of the other. What does my husband think about this? Now, you might have to work to get him to be able to articulate what he's thinking about that. But work at it. What's his preference? How can I be self-forgetful and give myself? How can I benefit my husband today? What can I do that would express my respect for him? Accepting. Accepting him as he is. Not as your idealized picture of him might be. I tell people in... um, Every time I do pre-marriage counseling, we talk about this. Because I talk about expectations a lot. And I talk about, in all of our minds, we've got this, um, what I call a kind of a plexiglass suit of armor. And that's the idealized version of what our spouse should be. And we try to fit our spouse into that plexiglass suit. And just when you just about get him or her tucked into it, they sort of bulge out over here. And another part just sort of, you know? And so we spend an enormous amount of time trying to manage our spouse to become who we want them to be. Like the young bride who at her um, wedding ceremony... The night before, the rehearsal, they'd gone through the rehearsal and she was really scared and she was concerned that she was going to forget what she was supposed to do when she came down the aisle and she wasn't sure what, so, so she had this little monomic, you know, a remembrance device that she used and so she could be heard as she was coming down from the back door towards the altar in the front, she, she could be heard. She had to remember these three things. There was the aisle and there was the altar, and then there was him. And so she was coming down, she was saying, I'll alter him. I'll alter him. I'll alter him. Okay? There's a lot of wives and husbands, to be fair, but I'll alter him. Yeah, a little shaping up. He'll be all right. Here's what I tell people, and I'm going to tell it to you this morning. If you are in a marriage relationship, here's, here's the two commands that 
Here's the two things that you need to grab hold of. One is, I will accept my spouse for exactly who they are without any expectation that they will ever change. How does that one feel? I will accept my spouse exactly as they are without any expectation that they will ever change. doesn't mean that I can't ask them kindly and that we can't work together and talk about things, and that, but I'm going to accept them as they are. Secondly, I will, do, I will be willing to change in any way necessary that I can to improve and benefit my marriage. Where does the responsibility of those two things lie? On me. Not on my spouse. Because most people say, well, I'm going to change just as soon as they do. Yeah, as soon as they start changing, I'm willing to change. But responsibility says, I'm willing to change first. And I'm going to accept my spouse as they are. All right, giving. Giving of respect, giving of light, you know, just pouring yourself out on behalf of your husband to help them become, I mean, your responsibility as a wife, similarly to that of a husband, is to help your husband become all that God has intended for him to be. And you're not going to do that by cutting him down by disrespecting him, by tearing him down over and over and over again, but by giving and building him up. How can I encourage? How can I empower? How can I release him? How can I help him? How can I support him? How can I partner with him? Just all the way back to the book of Genesis. God says, I'm going to make a help meet for Adam to partner together with him. And in the old saying, you know, God didn't take a bone out of Adam's head, though sometimes people think he did, so that she would sort of rule over him. He didn't take it out of his feet so that she'd rule. She took it out of his side because he took it out of her, his side, made her out of the rib because she's close to his heart and partnered together with him. The best marriages, honestly, are a partnership. I don't, I'm not overly concerned about what label you put on it. You can put all kinds of labels on it. The best label is, my wife is my partner. A full partner in my marriage together, walking forward in Christ. Submitting to Him a Christ-centered home. All right. Holy mackerel. There's a lot here to talk about. All right. Children. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So, now, here's another piece of family relationships. We've talked about husbands and wives. Now we need to talk about children and parents. A child's responsibility. All right, I want to hear a big shout of amen from all of the kids in the house. A child's responsibility is obedience. Yes! All right. They are thrilled and excited about this. What is a child's responsibility? A child's responsibility is to obey their parents. Now, what does that look like, kids, in your life? It looks like respecting authority. Let me, let me just give you a little aside here. I mean, we live in a society which has become extremely child-centered, and so there's sort of child-centered homes. Child-centered homes are by definition completely and utterly out of balance. A parent-centered home, a Christ-centered parent-centered home, is the definition of moving towards health, not a child-centered home. If you're around my home for a little while, every once in a while you hear this phrase. This is not a democracy. This is a benevolent dictatorship. And mom and dad are the ones 
who make the final determination related to what is and is not going to happen within the context of our home. And we will do that in partnership with one another. We will listen to one another carefully. We will, we will work together on that. But we are one when it comes to our children. Children learn from the age of mm, about six days to start playing off mom and dad. Anybody figured that out? Okay? So, mom, dad, it's important for you to be on the same page. Even when you disagree with your spouse. When I've just grounded one of my children for life, Annette's not going to say, hmm, honey, I don't think you should do that. Behind closed doors, she may say, honey, can we talk about that? Because if you ground them for life, that means I'm in prison for life with them. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> we talk about that together, and we are one. The most important relationship for my kids is not my relationship with them, as important as that is. And I, you know, I adore my kids, and I have very good relationship with my kids. But the most important relationship for them is not my relationship with them, but my relationship with Annette. That's even more important. All right. Respect authority. Honoring. Honor means to give appropriate weight. It means proper weight. And this is important, particularly as it relates to children and their development. I am not interested in my children being eternally dependent upon me. In fact, that is absolutely what I am not interested in. What I am interested in is growing my children to be fully dependent upon the Lord and independent from me so that they can make the proper and appropriate decisions in their life. So there's a developmental process that is happening throughout their life, a process of letting them go and releasing them to become what God has called them to be. The inverse of that is the children's honoring. The honoring is appropriate to the age that they are at. It's to give them the appropriate weight. When they are an infant, they are completely dependent upon us. As they grow less so, now my kids, two of them grown, married, honoring for them, I mean, it's, it's, it's an adjustment. But they go to their husbands before they come to me. Much to my chagrin. No, no. I, and I love my son-in-laws. And they're doing great. I mean, it's not, you know, but it's the change. It's the appropriate, appropriate weight. I'm not directing their lives anymore. I can't. I'm not intended to. They are released into their own individual life. Does that make sense? And honoring, though, is giving appropriate... So I still give appropriate weight to my parents, but they can't make decisions for me. And if they tried to demand that, that would be, that would be out of order. Following. A child just might follow. I mean, this is a scientific study. Listen to this. Children tend to believe what their mothers believe, and they pattern their actions after their fathers. That means moms and dads, it's really helpful when what mom is saying and what dad is doing align with each other. Because they're following. They're watching. And it is their responsibility to watch and follow after us. And hopefully, by God's grace, go further than we've ever gone. So kids, here's what obedience looks like. It means respecting the authority of your parents. It means honoring them appropriately, giving appropriate weight to their um, authority in your life. And it means following after them. A parent's responsibility is leadership. Guess what? You got kids. You're a parent. Your responsibility is to lead.
You don't get any other options. There's no plan B. You are called. You have a responsibility to lead. You're called to leadership in your child's life. That means training. Train your child up in the way that they should go. We all know that. And in their old age, they will not depart from it. Well, what does that mean? That means provide them with a framework for their life which they can build upon, a foundation of values and principles that are based and lived out of the kingdom. And it means train them in the way that they should go because God has a unique destiny and calling on every one of your children's lives. And it's going to look different for every kid. And it's going to look different than you. There's nothing sadder than watching a parent trying to relive or reshape a child into their own image. Ah! Stop it. Train them in the way they should go. The way God's made them. Because He's made them, each of them, different and unique. Nourish them. Care for them. Provide for them. Cover them. Empower them towards independence. At both of my daughter's weddings, those of you that have been here, you've heard me say these words. I mean, I trained my girls to become independent young women. And they are. But I've told them now, you have the grace of taking, when they step into marriage, you have even the next step, which is interdependence. We go from dependence, independence, and if God gives us a spouse, we become interdependent. Even if He doesn't, we're still interdependent with one another. That's even the highest. But we are empowering our kids to become independent human beings who then can experience the joy of interdependence with others. But they'll never experience that if they remain dependent upon you. It isn't about you um, keeping them in some sort of subservience to you throughout their lives, but you are empowering them to become what God's called them to be. Does this make sense? You all following? There's a lot of stuff here. This, we could preach a whole series on this, but sit under this word, if you would. What would it look like to put God in His place in our family relationships? Here's what I would say. It means to submit to Christ and focus on fulfilling our responsibilities. Not focus on fulfilling or seeing that your other people in your household fulfill theirs. Okay? I don't know if there's any ribs that are bruised this morning. Are you listening to what he's saying? What I want to say to you is, are you listening to what the Lord is saying to you? Because it is your responsibility to fulfill your responsibilities. Let me say this last thing and then then we really are done. Um, This has been a long message. Sorry, there's just been a lot lot packed in here. Um, I want to talk again about responsibilities and focusing on our responsibilities rather than others. Many of you have heard me share this before, but let me just put this in your mind for a moment. Write on your paper goals and desires. Desires are not dependent on other people or circumstances to fulfill. Desires are not dependent on other people or circumstances in order for them to be... Wait. Uh, Now that I had you write that down, rewrite it in your brain. Okay. Desires are dependent. Are dependent on other people or circumstances to fulfill. Desires are dependent. Goals are not dependent on other people or circumstances to fulfill. Desires are dependent. Goals are not. Here's where the problem becomes. We turn desires into goals. If your goal is to have a perfect Christian family, you're in trouble. Why? Because it's dependent on other people and circumstances in order for that to be fulfilled. 
And when people don't cooperate with your goal, if, they're, if they block your goal, you're going to get angry. If they make your goal uncertain, you're going to get anxious. If they make your goal impossible, you're going to despair. If people block your goal, you're going to get angry. If they make your goal uncertain, you're going to be anxious. If they make your goal impossible, you're going to despair. If my goal is to have a perfect Christian family, every single person in my family, including my dogs, can block my goal, make my goal uncertain, or make my goal impossible. But if my goal is, by God's grace, I'm going to be the best husband and father that I can possibly be, the only one that can block that or make that uncertain or impossible is me. It's not dependent on everybody else. Oh, it can be a wonderful godly desire to have a wonderful Christian family. That's a proper desire. Just realize that it's a desire, not a goal. Your goal is dependent on you alone. You alone have the responsibility. So my goal, if I'm a child, my goal is to be the best child that I can possibly be, the best sibling that I can possibly be in my relationships with my other siblings. As a wife, as a husband, as a parent. Do you get this? Everybody got that? If you do, nod your head. Just make me feel better. Yeah? Okay? You get that? This is a key. This is part of fulfilling our responsibilities. All right, worship team, come up. Last scripture. Colossians 3. This is actually the scripture that precedes the scripture typed in top of your bulletin. The scripture typed in the top of your bulletin from Colossians 3 is a condensed version of Ephesians 5 that we've just been looking at. But right before that, Paul writes, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. This is my prayer. This is our prayer. And this right after this is when he talks about very practically, here's what that's going to look like. Okay? Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we stand together, please? And again, would you just open your hands before the Lord? And I'm just going to pray right now, and then in a moment we're going to sing this song of dedication, and then I'm going to send you out with a benediction prayer. But I just want to pray right now. I just feel like just need to invite the Spirit of the Lord to just come, Lord, we ask you to come as we have sat under your word this morning. Lord, there's lots of questions going on in our mind. There's lots of thoughts. There's lots of internal conversation within us that's happening right now. And you know where every single person in this room is at. But Lord, I pray that by your grace, you would help us to respond appropriately to your word right now as it has been spoken to our hearts. And that, Lord, we would listen carefully. And then do what you speak to us to do. Lord, you know that there are those that are broken and hurting today. There are those here whose marriages have ended. Whose relationships with children are hurting. Or her relationships with parents, grown children with parents. And and there's, there's breaches in those relationships. God, there's so much in this room right now. I'm just profoundly aware of that as, as a pastor, Lord. And I just ask, Lord, that you would come and pastor us as your people today. Lord, if there's any condemnation that anyone's feeling, Lord, would you just remove that condemnation right now? Lord Jesus, this condemnation is not from you. That's only from the enemy. But Lord, we welcome your spirit of conviction to speak into our hearts today. And where we are misaligned and need to be repositioned, Lord, In light of your word today, come and begin to transform us, Lord. Not just reform us, but transform us, God. And be at the center of our families, we pray, God. We're not asking for perfect families, Lord. But we are asking for families that 
more closely reflect your purpose in your heart. I just want to speak for a moment specifically to parents for just a moment. There's only one perfect parent that I know of that's talked about in Scripture and that's God the Father. And even His kids rebelled and went astray. So in the midst of your hurting today, Would you feel the embrace of the Lord right now just coming and extending His love to your heart today, to your broken heart? Just experience the love of Christ just pouring in right now. He understands. He knows what you're going through. And He, along with you, is longing for the return of your child. Jesus, come. Comfort the heart of the hurting parent today. Jesus, come on.